you're listening to Creation Talk with your host, Jess Beatty, and special guest, Dr. Don Batten. Don. Yes. Good to see you. <laughs> you are a senior scientist, Creation Ministries International, and you've been speaking for 29 years on the creation evolution issues. But in particular, you've written an article that's called The Five Miracles That Atheists Believe. Now, I'm pretty sure a lot of atheists I know would say they don't believe in miracles. So I was wondering, can you tell us a bit about what you mean? Yes, I say they don't believe in miracles, but in fact they have to, because how do you explain the origin of everything, the origin of the universe, the origin of life and these things? They actually believe in magic rather than miracles, because miracles actually have a miracle worker. Well, and magic has a magician, doesn't it? So they don't even have a magician to actually do the magic. So it's pretty incredible, really, some of the things I have to believe to not believe in a creator. So uh, Christians believe in miracles, but we have a miracle worker. They believe in miracles without a miracle worker. Okay, how does, how does that work? Well, there's five miracles, which is I talk about in my article. Mm. Uh, the miracle of the origin of the universe, and then the origin of stars, and the origin of life, mm. the origin of the diversity of life, and then the origin of meaning and morality and intellect. Mm. So these are the five broad categories. And within those, there's actually more miracles too. So, okay. But there's five basically basic categories of miracles that they have to believe in. Yeah. All right. So if we were to look at those big five a little bit in a little bit more depth, help us understand. Well, the origin of the universe. Universe first. First one is the origin of the universe. So, mm. you know, the universe, where did it come from? Well, it had a beginning. So... It, it must have come from nothing. So Lawrence Krauss, a well-known atheistic uh, cosmologist in the United States, wrote a book, A Universe from Nothing. Mm. And uh, the subtitle is Why There is Something Rather Than Nothing. And so he claims to explain how the universe can come about from nothing, but his nothing is not nothing, actually. It's actually a quantum fluctuation and this sort of thing. And it's a physical something, in which case it can't be eternal, and so he hasn't really explained the origin of everything anyway. Mm. But this is this is a miracle that the quantum fluctuation can produce the whole universe anyway, and including us. So this is the whole you know the whole shebang uh, came about by this process. So on the front cover of Discover magazine, uh, two thousand two, there was a, a summary of the Big Bang idea, and it goes like this: the universe burst into something from absolutely nothing zero, nada. As it got bigger, it became filled with even more stuff that came from absolutely nowhere. How is this possible? Ask Alan Guth. His theory of inflation helps explain everything. So Alan Guth is one of the experts in the Big Bang, and so he's invented this idea of inflation. Now, inflation is added to the Big Bang, and inflation actually adds three more miracles to the very miracle of the beginning of everything from nothing. And so it explains nothing, it just adds more miracles. Now, inflation is the idea the universe sort of rapidly expanded, really humongously fast, fast, many, many orders of magnitude, faster than the speed of light for a tiny fraction of a second. So what started it? That's a miracle. How can it expand faster than the speed of light? That's a miracle. What stopped it? That's another miracle. So we've got three more miracles added to the Big Bang. We've got four miracles. We haven't even got to the first second of the universe. Now, this is what we're talking about here. Mm. So things coming from nothing. How do they, how do they <laughs> explain that? And it feel like it's making logical sense. Well, this this is a problem. I mean, Lawrence Krauss sort of uses a sleight of hand to try and ex 
trying to sort of claim he's he's got nothing that makes everything, but his nothing is not nothing. So, like, you know, really what it boils down to, to it is this. We're here. How do we get here? Yeah. Well, stuff happens, you know. Like, there's there's got to be some explanation other than God. Mm. If you're an atheist, you have to have some other explanation. That's what they're on about. All right, so beginning of the universe, what about stars? Well, then you had the, the universe, but then stars formed and galaxies formed and how do stars form? So there's there's two phases of star formation, they theorise. The, the one's made of hydrogen and hydrogen and some helium. So these are the hydrogen stars and they, they supposedly formed first from the Big Bang. Yeah. But the problem is if you've got gases produced by the Big Bang expanding out, so you've got this massive expansion happening at, you know, in the very fast. Gases do expand. I mean, you put gas and it goes, whoosh, it expands. So how do you get stars forming from gases moving apart? Big problem. So they invented this idea that there's this dark matter, which has magical properties, which is distributed just right and just the amount of strength to actually attract hydrogen together and attract enough so that there's enough hydrogen to form a a gravitational force to attract more hydrogen, and hey, presto, we've got stars. So this is this is the sort of second miracle of the Big Bang. And then you've got the, the problem that we've got stars with heavier elements, like our sun, for example, has not just hydrogen, helium, but it has lithium, beryllium, boron, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, all these elements in the periodic table. Where they come from? Well, the theory goes that there were hydrogen stars, and they exploded. They're called supernovas. Mm-hmm. And these exploding stars, were, so there were enough of them close enough together that the, the force by these exploding stars forced hydrogen into making heavier elements. And so all the lithium, brilliant, boron, carbon, nitrogen, all the heavier elements came from these exploding. And so you just have to have the right number of supernovas together in the same space to actually form billions of stars. You know, this is really another huge miracle. So we've got miracle upon miracle here. And inventing imaginary stuff, I mean, the dark matter, for example, there's no evidence exists at all. They've been looking for it for decades, and there have been all sorts of sophisticated experiments trying to prove it exists. Nothing. And yet I still hear many people throwing that out there as a bit of a, this is... This is the, this is the explanation. Mm. Yeah, that's right. This is the explanation. What evidence, what evidence have they got for it? Mm. Zilch. Mm. So these are more miracles that they... they they're, latching on to try and explain the, the origin of the universe. Mm. And miracles that sound like they need a designer behind them, like some a more intelligent force to be able to design how that happened because of the complexity. Ah, I bet you can't go there. <laughs> okay. So what about universe and stars and then life, the origin of life? Yeah, well, this is a huge conundrum, the origin of life. I mean... Back when Darwin's days, uh, he could imagine the life was fairly simple because you looked down a microscope and it was a blob and you couldn't see much and there wasn't anything known about the biochemistry of life. But today we just know so much about even the simplest living thing is just amazingly complex and it defies the idea it could just make itself. Mm. But this is what the origin of life has to explain is the origin of you know, if you take the simplest bacterium that can reproduce itself, in other words, the simplest life, mm-hmm. how much information written on the DNA? You're talking about a book the size of a Bible mm-hmm. in the simplest life. So not only do you need the, the, the coded information, the coding system to code the information, you need to be able to read the code 
and generate all these proteins and things, enzymes and things that make life, about 500 of them minimum, and these are absolutely amazingly complex, each one. Mm. You know, like Paul Davies is an astrobiologist, and astro is space, biology is space biology. I mean, how much biology is there in space? Not much. So and still? They do a lot of theorizing, you know, and Paul Davies is pretty good at the theorizing part of things. And he said, how did stupid atoms spontaneously write their own software? Because that's what we're talking about, software, mm -hmm. you know, like a computer program. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows. There is no known law of physics able to create information from nothing. But if you're not going to believe in a supernatural intelligent creator who made the code and who actually designed the information, where does it come from? You have to believe in another miracle. And this is basically what it is. Scientific knowledge grows every day to underline that life is too complex for it to be explained by some chance origin, which is the only thing the atheist has is a chance origin of life. I often wonder if Darwin was alive today and could... Would he be a Darwinist? Yeah. <laughs> ...see this complexity that we can see now. What would he say? Well, I think... And in fact, I wrote an article about that called If Darwin is Alive Today, Would He Be a Darwinist? And what was my conclusion... Yes, he would be, because his belief wasn't driven by science. It was driven by his desire not to believe in God. His belief wasn't driven by science. Yeah. Interesting. So we have life, the origin of life as a challenge, but what about, as we've been talking about, this diversity, this incredible complexity? Well, you've not, not just got microbes, you've got the huge diversity of life on earth. I mean, from earwigs to elephants and mites to mango trees, you know, like everything is supposed to come about by this naturalistic process called evolution, biological evolution from some bacterium or a couple of bacteria that made themselves. And uh, for almost 100 years, the idea of mutations, which are accidental changes in existing information. So take the bacterium and you have an accidental change at is it reproduces and makes another bacterium, an accidental change can change some of the letters on the DNA. So they're called mutations. And those mutations are supposed to create all the information that made all of life on Earth, all the diversity of life on Earth. And so we have features that bacteria don't have, you know, like we have nerves and we have skin and we have all sorts of enzymes they don't have. We produce hair and they, yeah. you know, all sorts of stuff. So where does all the information from making all that come from? Well, accidental changes in the bacterium eventually generated da, 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 all the way through to humans and mango trees and everything else. This is the story. And natural selection is supposed to have helped in that process by selecting the beneficial mutations. Mm. So this is a fundamental problem today that the complexity of life and what we know about living things shows that this doesn't work, that mutations and natural selection doesn't work. I mean, if you just look at uh, the difference between a human and a chimp, so chimp-like creatures supposed to evolve into a human over 7 million years, right? It's actually been shown that it can't happen. The mutations and natural selection, even making assumptions that make it even possible, can't explain it. So again, they have to believe in miracles to believe the diversity of life. It's more magic. It's more, you know, well, stuff happens. We're here. It must have happened mm. type of thing. And uh, there's a growing appreciation amongst the people who know the biochemistry that neo-Darwinism, the mutations, natural selection story, just doesn't stack up. And as that becomes a bit more apparent, are people 
trying to accommodate that in some other way? Like, are they trying to invent new ideas? Well, yes. I mean, there's uh, it, behind the scenes, there's attempts to actually invent a new way of explaining evolution in a different way. But I don't believe I'll get anywhere with that. The more we know about it, the more life looks like it's designed. It's not a product of natural processes. Mm. Yeah. The diversity of life's just amazing. God had fun. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to look very far into, um, I remember just reading the recent Creation Ministries magazine and looking at the weaver, the bird, and just the amazing nest that it makes upside down and the way that it works as a team with its little mate to create all of the cushioning inside and to make it all safe and warm for the little babies and just incredible complexity in one tiny little animal. Everything you look at is like that. And the further you dig, the mm. more complexity you see. It's not as if you dig, you dig and you find some explanation that makes sense of some natural process. The more you dig, the more you see intelligence involved in this design of these things. So the origin of intelligence and things like um, the fact that we can, we can love, how do we explain that? Well, this, this is a problem because a you know, fig tree produces figs, doesn't it? It doesn't produce apples. And physical processes don't produce that physical and chemical processes produce physical and chemi chemical outcomes. They don't produce intelligence and love and altruism and morality. And so where do these things come from? And so this is a, this is a fundamental problem also for the atheists. Now, the, there's an American atheistic philosopher by the name of Thomas Nagel, and a few years ago he wrote a book uh, in that. It's called Mind and Cosmos, the book. And in that, he spelled out how the Darwinian idea, the whole idea of naturalism and everything, doesn't explain mind and morality. And let me quote from him. It's worth quoting actually what he says. He, he said, this is a commentator talking about the book and about what Nagel wrote. The commentator says, mm. his or Nagel's working assumption is, in today's intellectual climate, radical. If the materialist neo-Darwinian orthodoxy contradicts common sense, then this is a, a mark against the orthodoxy not against common sense. When a chain of reasoning leads us to deny the obvious, we should double-check the chain of reasoning before we give up on the obvious. And the obvious is things are designed. They're not actually a product of natural processes. And uh, C.S. Lewis, the famous atheist English author, professor of uh, English at, uh, in, in the British universities, and uh, he's a famous convert from atheism. And he basically said, how can... An accident, because neo-Darwinism, evolution, the whole idea of the cosmic evolution, origin, it's a basically accidental process. So how can an accident actually generate a meaningful outcome? So if our thoughts are a product of materialism, of accidents, then why should we trust our thoughts? Mm. So this is a fundamental problem for the atheist is if you believe that your intellect, your mind, your brain, everything came from a series of accidents, why do you trust your thoughts? Mm. Fundamental problem. The implications of that, if I think through them for a second, and I wonder how many people actually do, thinking through, well, if these, are, if these things are an accident, it's a bit scary where that leads. Indeed. And if you think about it, it ends up being very destructive. Mm. Very destructive. Mm. Could someone actually, could that lead to things like having a very bleak view of life on Earth and even depression or, or something like that? Absolutely. And you look up some of the famous atheists and they'll tell you that life has no meaning, no purpose. When you die, you become fertilizer. They have three Fs of atheism. 
you know, the three F's of atheism. What are they? Life is a fluke. So our existence is a fluke. Our life is a farce. And when you die, you become fertilizer. That's it. Very bleak. Very bleak. Okay. When I think about the students that I teach and sometimes students that might say they're an atheist, and when you start to talk about the implications of that, they would vehemently disagree with the fact that they believe that life is an accident. They would say, oh, no, 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 no. But they haven't taken the next step to think through what that actually means. They haven't thought through what it means. That's right. And the look on their faces when they realize where that leads. Yeah. Yeah, it's crushing. It is crushing. And many people today have been misled by this sort of thinking. And really, what is the purpose of life? So it really does look like it requires quite a bit of faith to be an atheist. Yes, I think it takes enormous faith to be an atheist. Mm. And ultimately, belief in the power of nothing as the cause of the universe and ultimately the cause of everything that exists, including us, our lives, our loves, our everything. As believing in magic at significant points of origin of everything that matters in our universe. In fact, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Yep, I would agree. Yeah. By not believing in God, they've put themselves into a traditional philosophical corner. And Romans 1 verse 21 in the Bible says that when people deny the knowledge of God, the creator, deny that creator God exists, they end up with futile thinking. And we've seen plenty of this in talking about these atheist miracles, futile thinking. What would you say to someone who was saying, in light of this, if I were to be open to God and this idea of him being real and him being the reason that everything exists today, I feel like I'd still be taking on a bit of an emotional crutch. You know, it's kind of like it's too convenient or too good to be true sort of thing. What what would you say to that, Don? Well, if you're lame, you probably need a crutch. And the perspective of the Bible is we are sinners, we rebelled against God, and we actually need God's help. So it's the ultimate arrogance arrogance to say, I'm perfect, I don't need help, which is ultimately what they're saying. Mm. So God reaching out to us to help us, and so it's to acknowledge you do need help. If you don't acknowledge you need help, well, God can't help you. We don't really like admitting we need help, do we, do you think? That's part of the problem. We're all sort of afflicted with a pride. You know, Mm. We like to think we're the measure of all things and we don't need help, but ultimately... To reach out to God and to seek his help is to acknowledge you need help. Mm. All right, Don, we're going to do something a little bit different now. I'm actually going to pull out a timer and I'm going to fire some very quick questions at you. And I'm going to give you one minute to answer each of these questions. I'd love to be able to, especially as a teacher, I think with students who um, want to know the answers to some of these, to be able to have a quick answer, as well as then maybe if you're interested, you can go a little bit further. So you ready? (laughs) Go for it. All right, so I'm going to start the clock. Atheists like Richard Dawkins ridicule Christians, saying they believe in something like the flying spaghetti monster. What do you say to that? Well, the flying spaghetti monster is a figment of the imagination of an atheist by the name of Bobby Henderson in the United States. And no one believes it actually exists, and there's zero evidence it exists. And that contrasts with the creator God of the Bible, for which there's abundant evidence. I mean, we just think about the fine-tuned nature of the universe, which enables life to exist. That alone speaks about the fact that there is evidence that God exists, where there's no evidence for the flying spaghetti monster. <laughs> oh, well done. You did that one in time. All right. Next one. I'm going to start the clock. 
Today's evolutionists say the origin of life has nothing to do with evolution. Are they right? It's always been a part of evolution, and it's only in recent times that anybody's tried to claim it's not a part of evolution. In fact, the University of California, Berkeley, and their Evolution 101, Biology 101 course on evolution mm-hmm. includes chemical evolution, which is the origin of life. And every school textbook and university textbook includes the origin of life under evolution. So this is just a cop-out. Why are they doing this? Because the origin of life is such a problem for them. It is such a huge problem. They can't explain it, so they want to put it aside. All right. Well done. Next one. Atheists say they can be moral without God. What do you say to that? Well, by what standard do they judge themselves as moral? I mean, how do you get what ought to be, like you shouldn't torture babies, from physics and chemistry? There's no, no, there's no basis for any moral law unless there is a moral lawgiver, which is the creator God of the Bible. So if they just say, it just feels right that this is wrong and this is right, or they, it just feels like we just know. Well, I can say, maybe I feel right about torturing babies. Why am I wrong? By the way, I don't. (laughs) Another one. So we've talked about this, but let's do it in a minute. Atheists claim that evolution explains the diversity of life. No need for God. What do you reckon? Maybe that was reasonable in the past, but today with what we know about the diversity of life and the incredible complexity of living things, it's no longer tenable. For example... Just about every organism has genes which are unique to it. As many as 20% of the genes in each organism are unique. In other words, it's this note that haven't been derived from some other genes in another organism. And this is a recent finding of modern science, and it's a fundamental problem for the idea that evolution explains the diversity of life. It just doesn't work. All right, next question. A major design argument for the universe is fine-tuning. Can you tell me more about that? There's actually many aspects of our universe which have to be just as they are to make it possible for life to exist. For example, there's very technical things like the ratio of the mass of an electron to a proton. So what's what's the relevance of that? Well, if it was slightly different to what it is, there'd be no atoms and no, no molecules. And of course, no atoms, no molecules, we wouldn't be here. The uh, electromagnetic and gravitational forces are just right to allow suns to exist and stars and so on. And uh, our star has just the right mass. You know, if it was bigger, we'd be in, it'd be unstable. If it was smaller, it'd be unstable. We would not be have the stability and so on. And so there are many of these things that are just right for life on Earth. And this is a problem for the chance origin of the universe. Why can't stars form? in the early universe in a Big Bang scenario? Well, you've got the problem of this massive expansion and very fast expansion of gases and things, but the gases have to come together to form the first star. And so this is a fundamental problem now. They've they've constructed scenarios to try and explain this and invented dark matter, but uh, this is an invention of a series of miracles, if you like, to actually get any star to form. And then you've got all the other types of stars as well. So... Yeah, it's a fundamental problem for the for the whole Big Bang scenario's origin of the universe. All right, another question. What is the single biggest problem with the theory that life has come from non-life? The origin of coded information on the DNA is the single biggest problem because coded information 
doesn't come about by physics and chemistry. It has to come about from intelligence. That's the fundamental problem. Can we talk more about that in terms of, like, I can look at an amazing car and I'm, I'm pretty sure the engineers would be very unhappy with me if I said that that had just come about by chance. So how come when it comes to something so much more complex, are we happy to say that it has just happened? Ah, but there's the rub. You see, a car can be explained by a human engineer, but life can't be explained by a human engineer. Its only explanation is the supernatural creator, and that's somewhere they don't want to go. So that's the fundamental problem. It's, it's the implication that this must be the product of a supernatural creator, which is a problem. Not that it shows, doesn't show intelligence. Absolutely, it does. So, uh, that's, so that's the basic problem. Mm. So we're just going to stop the timer for a second here in the rapid questions, because I just want to pull that out a little bit more. You, you talked about the fact that with this coded information that we have that gives us everything that exists, why is that a problem? Just to illustrate what coded information is, if you think about the English language, we have 26 letters in a space, and in those 26 letters in the space, we convey information. So when you read it as English, it means something. But the random arrangement of those letters doesn't have any meaning. The only way you can get those letters are organized into meaningful information is that an intelligence actually arranges the letters. Now, here's the other problem. If you read... Chinese and you've got English in front of you, you're not going to know what it means. And it's like that with the cells. They have coded information and then they have a reading system. So the DNA code is the right code and then they have a reading system which reads the code. So just like you're reading English, you're decoding the information. There's nothing about the ink or the pixels on the screen which has any meaningful information. It's the arrangement which only comes from an intelligence. And so it is with the coded information in DNA. There is no physical, chemical process that can create coded information. It only comes from intelligence. That's a fundamental problem for the whole naturalistic idea that life could make itself or that the diversity of life could make itself from some natural process, which is what evolution is. And we know that those DNA instructions are incredibly complex, but then the fact that they're being able to be decoded and read to produce the proteins, et cetera, that's incredibly complex as well. Like it's just, it's so overwhelmingly complex. It's a complexity upon complexity, but the fundamental thing is a coded information cannot arise by physics and chemistry. Hmm. It uses physics and chemistry, just like the pixels on your screen or the ink on your paper. There's physics and chemistry involved in the actual conveying of the information, the, the means, the, the medium through which the information is being conveyed, but the information itself is not a physical and chemical property. It's a property of intelligence. And that seems obvious to me that the complexity of life is a very good argument against everything happening by accident. But why are so many still willing to accept it, even though if they were to think about it for two seconds, they'd probably agree that the complexity of life is, is a good argument? Well, I, I think a lot of people don't think about it. That's the first thing. They've never, never been caused to think about it differently. They've only heard one side of the story and they've just, it's been convenient to accept it because to accept that there is a creator who made everything there are certain implications of that, and that is, well, if the Creator made me, that means I'm answerable to the Creator for my life. <laughs> you know, maybe there's eternity, maybe there's a judgment, maybe there's there's things that I don't want to. I want to live my life my way. I don't want to. I don't want to be answerable to anybody. 
And so this is a fundamental driver for the whole atheistic enterprise, which tries to explain everything without God, is they don't want God to rule over them. And I would probably say from um, a teacher's point of view that I'm noticing um, as, as, as students come through, the world is teaching them that it's all about them and it's all about what they think and, and they can even really decide their own truths these days. And so what would you what would you say to these guys that are, it's being drilled into them that just think what you want to think and mesh it all together and take whatever you want? And Yeah, I think we have to try and uh, lead them through the process of thinking about what that means in terms of their life and the meaning of life and, uh, you know, the future mm. to draw it out so they understand the implications of where they're going. Mm. Uh, because they're not pretty. Yeah. All right. Maybe we'll take a couple more questions. So I'm going to fire a few more quick ones at you. So if I put the the timer on again, there's a question that says, many people would say that the evidence for biological evolution is overwhelming. What would you say to that? Well, I think I need to study the matter. Mm. <laughs> uh, I think I think there's two types of people here. There's ones who haven't thought about it. And there are those who have thought about it and, and their religious beliefs are actually driving their desire to believe in evolution. In other words, their atheism is driving it. If you look at, start to dive into it and look at the complexity of life and what, what they're trying to explain, the evidence for creation, for divine, divine design is overwhelming. And so it's the necessity for the atheistic and the secular political agenda to get rid of God. That's what it's about. Interesting. Get rid of God. Yeah. All right. Another question. We see new species emerging all the time. So how can you possibly say that evolution doesn't happen? We see natural selection. We see mutations. We're told this is evolution. So natural selection happens in today's world, but evolution depends on mutations to create all this new information. And the mutations aren't up to it. Mutations, accidental changes in existing information doesn't create new genes, new, new features that weren't there before. And that's a fundamental problem. Speciation happens. I don't have a problem with that. don't have a problem with natural selection, but these aren't evolution. We need fundamental in, invention of new features like skin where it wasn't before, like nerves where they weren't there before. Mutations can't create that, and that's the only mechanism they have. But right, another question, isn't the critic's position incoherent and self-refuting? I believe it is. Uh, C.S. Lewis, former atheist who became a Christian, a reluctant convert, I might say, he said, I must quote this because he said, I see no reason for believing that one accident, this is the accidents in mutations and things, should be able to give me a correct account of all the other accidents. So our mind and our thinking and our, is a product of accidents. He said, it's like expecting that the accidental shape taken by the splash when you upset a milk jug should give you a correct account of how the jug was made and why it was upset. <laughs> so this is the fundamental problem is trying to get meaning, purpose, organization out of accidents, which is basically what cosmic evolution is about. Right, I think we'll stop the rapid fire questions there, turn the timer off. So Don, I am a teacher and I've got classes of your nine and 10 students who would love to be able to understand some of these big questions in particular, this idea of the five miracles that atheists believe. And 
I was wondering, is there a way that you could summarize these five miracles about the beginning of the universe, the beginning of stars, the beginning of life, the origin of the diversity of life and the origin of intelligence? If we were to go at those with a bit of a summary for, say, a 15, 16-year-old, how would we position that? I, I often use the analogy to say, look, the chair you're sitting on, um, it just made itself. Nobody made it. It just happened. Yeah, uh, you'd say you, you need a psychiatrist. You need a psychiatrist. Mm. But basically, these people are arguing that the whole universe—not just a chair, but the whole universe—made itself. That life made itself. The stars made themselves. The diversity of life just happened. That intelligence and morality and everything just came out of the soup. It's an inadequate explanation, like saying the chair has made itself. This is an inadequate explanation for the origin of these things, which are fundamental to everything we know. My students would say, well, yeah, duh. <laughs> yeah. The chair did not make itself. That's right. So how, why would you believe the universe could make itself? Mm. I mean, that's a much bigger thing than a chair. The whole universe just made itself. Come on, seriously? But that's what you have to believe if you don't want to believe in a creator. You know, the origin of, of life Everybody understands information in a sense of you look at a text on a page, read a book, mm. the information in that, where did it come from? Did it come from an accident in a printing press? No, it came from intelligence. Unless it's incoherent, you might wonder about the intelligence of the, of the author. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and stars? Yeah, and stars. I mean, you've got this incredibly dense congregation of matter formed from expanding gases. How does that work? Basically, they have to resort to miracles to try and explain. But miracles without a miracle worker, you know, they're, they're basically trying to explain things without any sufficient cause. That's the fundamental problem. The cause for your chair, the cause for you. I mean, if you said to your parents as a child, mum, where'd I come from? Suddenly there's embarrassed silence and they're saying, what do I say, you know? And they say, oh, we found you under a cabbage patch. You think, sorry, that doesn't cut it. This is, this is basically the whole evolutionary, cosmic evolution idea is I found you under a cabbage patch type of thing, which is not coherent. And my students would say, well, surely it's more complex than that. You know, there's, don't you know, miss, that most scientists in the world believe this. So surely it's true. The majority believes something really doesn't prove it's true. It's not a good argument. The best argument is, what's the evidence? And the evidence doesn't stack up for the idea that everything can make itself. So it's possible that so many people that are very intelligent and they are professionals in their field could still not be following the evidence. Absolutely. And it's happened many times in science that that's the case. You get a bandwagon where people basically um, forcing the data to fit their, their beliefs. In fact, the whole evolutionary thing is really a philosophical view because it's a view about the past where people weren't there to see it happen. So basically, it's imagining how, how everything came to be in the past, unobserved past. Nobody saw it happen. You can't do experiments on it. How does it even qualify as being science? Because science means it needs to be... Do experiments, mm. testing, experiments. What sort of experiment can do on the origin of the universe? None. What sort of experiment can do on the origin of stars? None. So it's not really science. It's at the bottom, it's actually philosophy, an atheistic, materialistic philosophy pretending to be science. 
pretending to be science, which yeah. is very interesting because most people would say, oh, but it, it, it's science. It has to be true. Yeah. Well, they've, they've bought the lie. So, Don, if we don't take this atheist position and then believe the five miracles and, and the rest that they're believing, where to from here? Well, the Bible says God made us in his image. And what does that mean? That means that we can relate to God. We were made for relationship with God. And a lot of what we're talking about here is people trying to live life without God. This is called sin, actually. The Bible calls it sin, to actually try to live without God is sin. We're, made, we're actually created to live with God. Mm. And so to try to live without him, that's what the Bible calls sin. And we need to be forgiven for that. And that's what the Bible's about. And so the Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. And we're promised if we seek, we will find. If we seek the Lord, we'll find the Lord and we'll find God. And when we find him and into relationship with him, then we find meaning and purpose in life. Life has a purpose. Our purpose is to be in relationship with God. Mm. Now, the atheists are right. Many of them have said this much, that the implication of materialism, of atheism, is that there is no purpose to life. That is correct. If they are correct, that is correct. Mm. But here's the thing. There is a purpose to life because we're made in the image of God. We're made for relationship with God. And so this gives life its only possible purpose is to know God, to enjoy him for eternity. That's what it's about. It sounds like a much nicer option. <laughs> I almost would go so far as to say, but I've heard people say before, if you know, if you, what is there to lose? If you, if you want to try God and you want to take him up on his promise that if you seek him, you'll find him, as opposed to close the door and never know. Well, Jesus said in, in John 10 verse 10, I have come to give you life abundantly, life abundantly. And that's the sort of so different to what most people sort of think in our society that religion is about, you know, killjoy stuff. But yeah. Jesus said, I came that you might have life, abundant life. And so th this is amazingly good news for a society which has been told there's no purpose to life. Yeah. And if, as you say, if we are then in relationship with the being who has created and designed us, then it makes sense that he would be able to give us something that is fulfilling and abundant mm. because he's he knows how he's designed that. Yeah. He, he, he knows how we tick mm. right through and he knows what we need. Thank you so much, Don, for talking about this, the uh, five miracles that atheists believe and following through with just an amazing way to finish in terms of what we're really created for. So thank you. Thanks, Jess. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe for more content like this.